It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody, into J.C. and Morgan, the podcast. The college football podcast you've come to know and love, or maybe you're just beginning to know and love it. And if so, we'll be very gentle and delicate throughout the next hour or so. It is episode number 172. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN, the SEC Network. Uh, And uh, this week, as well, some NFL on radio. In fact, uh, J.C. and I got to meet after calling a 49ers-Bears game. I got to see J.C., and the future Mrs. J.C. in uh, the Windy City. More on that in a moment. Michael Haney is our fearless producer. He's in the Music City, and I'm in Atlanta. So we've got Atlanta to Nashville to Chicago. We've got it covered. We are uh, we are all covered, and uh, hopefully we've got you covered coast to coast, no matter where you're listening to this podcast. Lots to talk about, and you know, particularly this type of year where it's less interviews and we've got so many games to cover and so many stories to cover, much like we did last week, we'll try to keep it as rapid-paced as we can because we want to get in as much as we can. Uh, we will get to the Hot Haney 5. We will get to some other major storylines, another episode of Under the Radar, uh, a little bit of Don't Sleep On, and yes, we'll be back with some picks to wrap things up with the uh, involving the future games this weekend. Gentlemen, without further ado, how's everybody? How was the weekend? JC, I saw you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> if I was a little bit tired, I apologize. I called the Oklahoma game on Saturday, went from Norman to Wichita, cut a flight from Wichita to Chicago, called the Bears 49er uh, quagmire game. Most of you have probably seen the players using the field as a slip and slide in at soldier field. And then, uh, and then you and I had a chance to grab dinner. So, uh, I feel like I know how you're doing. You were doing quite well, looking good, feeling good. You got a shaved head now. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the only thing that's different. Michael Haney also a shaved head. So I guess I'm breaking routine here by, uh, keeping some hair. Well, I mean, do we need to make some kind of bet so you can join (laughs) the group? Here's the thing. I, I, you know, I am envious of you guys uh, in that waking up with like a shaved head is the best thing in the world. And I've done it once before. Now with TV, it might be a little hard to do. But in the summertime, when I don't have as many obligations, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, so we'll make a bet that I know I'm going to lose and I will go El Baldo for uh, for a few weeks. All right. I can understand that. Yeah. You got a long way to go until your uncle, Uncle Vern. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, Michael's given us kind of a sneak preview of the Hot Haney Five, so I, I, I don't want to delve too much into the major storylines, but there, but there are a bunch of them. JC, there's, you know, the, the Scott Frost thing is is going to be number one. We're going to get into that. Uh, the A and M thing with Jimbo. We're going to get into that. Um. I, I I look around at what happened, and again, it's what we love about college football. It's what we're going to love even more pretty soon. Because, for example, the app, and when I say pretty soon, I mean when we get the twelve team playoff. And I what I mean by that is, for example, Appalachian State defeating Texas A and M. 
the the story has been I, I mean I've heard a hundred shows since the the game and everything is what this means for AM, what this means for Jimbo, how could AM lose this game at home? Uh is Jimbo worth the money that they're paying him? Oh, by the way, Appalachian State, great story, right? In a few years from now, a program like Appalachian State actually has a legitimate shot when they come off big wins like this, and maybe they have a dominating year in the Sun Belt, and we're going to give the Sun Belt a lot of love today. The Fun Belt deserves it. Mm -hmm. But they could actually be a legitimate playoff contender, and who doesn't like that story? I mean, I think that's good for the sport. I, I maintain that this format that now has 12 and only six conference champions guaranteed, uh, or uh, only six guaranteed, and then only – only one from each no, no league can have more than one automatic bye week right so that when you have those top four bye teams it's not going to be just chock full of sec big 10 i i maintain that just it, it makes so many more games and stories relevant that's not me being all mr inclusive and let's just have a bunch of mediocre no i i i think i think the playoff is a perfect setup but um but i i i am amazed at how many people don't know much about Appalachian State. Like, it, it, bless the hearts of the Yell Knight. You guys know what Yell Knight is? You ever been? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't be a college football fan. I've never. Is, right? Well, well I've, I've experienced it. Now, I, I covered it. The second year that they were in the league, I get a phone call from my bosses at ESPN. Say, Mike, we got something different for you this week. It does not involve broadcasting a game. It involves you covering Yell Night the night before AM hosted Alabama. This was the year after Johnny Manziel had already beaten Alabama and won the Heisman Trophy. So needless to say, Yell Night was pretty lit that night. And I had no idea what I'm getting into. I'm like, we're covering a pep rally? Really? Um, and I'd heard a Yell Night, like you guys have heard a Yell Night, but we televised it. And I we're, we're sitting there in two uh, movie director chairs at midfield and watching this. I'm like, this is unbelievable. But Yell Knight got a little bit um, sideways when they just started. It, it became viral. Just started taking pot shots at Appalachian State and called them a bunch of hillbillies and this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and they've since taken it down. They realized it was a mistake. And look, college kids are going to say dumb things and do dumb things. We know all this. But Appalachian State's won 62 games over the last six years. Like the, the, They were a 1AA power, and then people wondered, well, how would they do at the next one? Well, they've done just fine. They, they've done just fine. So we, we shouldn't be that shocked at some of these Sunbelt programs that are pulling off wins. The other thing we shouldn't be shocked about, Michael, what was your question about new head coaches you had a week or two ago? Uh, who would be... Let's see what. How did I, exactly did I phrase it? Who 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 would be this year's um, say Brian Harson or Steve Sarkeesian coaches uh, that walked into a situation where there were some expectations and they sort of fell flat on their face in year one? And who did I say? Uh, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. And what happened to Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame? Uh, he just got uh, beat by the Marshall Thundering Herd. Right. Congrats, Mike. Uh, well, look, I, I'm not pulling against Marcus Freeman or even Notre Dame, although. Uh, the, the arrogance of Notre Dame for me gets a little bit tiresome, but I'm not one of these people that feels so polarized that I have to either love or hate Notre Dame. No, I'm I'm right on the fence. I don't love or hate Notre Dame, to be honest with you. Uh, but 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 that that hire, which was widely celebrated as a brilliant hire, 
certainly left a little bit to be desired when you're Notre Dame and you can get a lot of premier established coaches and you just hire within a la Bob Davey, a defensive coordinator that has not been around the block too much. Uh, so he's lost his first couple of games now. And if you go back to the bowl game last year, he's 0-3. Maybe he turns it around, maybe he doesn't. But how many people even know what conference Marshall is in? I uh, <clears throat> I didn't know that. I, I knew they had moved to the Sun Belt only because they got out of Conference USA early and right. sued sued to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there there was a complete <laughs> poor Conference USA. This was once like a pretty damn good league. Mm-hmm. Then they lose everybody to the American, and now they've lost everybody to the Sun Belt. Like there, there's nothing left. I don't know what is it, uh, New Mexico State and. Uh, and uh, the, the 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 college from necessary roughness in the program, like I don't know who's left in that league anymore. I guess it's still an actual league, but but if you look at the Sun Belt, you look at Georgia Southern, you look at App State, uh, you look at Old Dominion, who was the story a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, beating Virginia Tech. And you look at Marshall, like Marshall's got a great tradition, a prideful tradition. I've been there. I've been there for games. They live for college football. They will do anything they can within the rules to get good. And they got a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. So anyway, I, I that to me, and we'll get more into this, was a, a major storyline as well, was, was the Sun Belt and the fact that as much as the the top is predictable in college football, the middle, I think, is actually expanded. I think there's more room for teams and upsets. Now, all that being said, the uh, the biggest game of the day that I'll admit I didn't think would be close was Alabama-Texas. And I'm watching that, guys, and I'm thinking, how in the world? How in the world is Alabama struggling against this Texas defense? I just don't get it. I I just don't get it. Texas hasn't played defense in years. How many people could name two people on that defense? Like what it it just didn't make any sense. But it was a problem. Now, eventually, the Heisman Trophy winner on a key drive, you knew what was going to happen. I mean, it, Tom Brady-esque just dissecting on that final drive. But what do we take out of that? What do we make out of that? Because think about this. Alabama barely won that game. Clemson didn't look good against Georgia Tech. Ohio State hasn't looked that good so far in action. Um, who am I missing? I mean, we, we haven't had dominating performances by the so-called dominating teams. Well, Georgia, there's a reason they went to number one this week because right. they, they were dominant in that first game and then had, you know, beat Sanford like a drum and then sat everybody the second half. But, uh, yeah, it's true. Alabama, you know, I I, I was very disappointed because I, I thought this was one of those games Bama would come in and just roll. Uh, and they obviously didn't and almost lost. And and if Quinn Ewers had not been knocked out of the football game, they may have very well done it because that, that kid's got an it factor about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but two things on this. Number one, this is not the first time in the last couple of years this has happened to Alabama. It happened at Auburn last year. That Auburn defense – while good, uh, gave up what? 43 unanswered against Mississippi State a couple weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't exactly a uh, the, the impenetrable wall, right? And Bama went in there to a hostile environment and almost lost. Had it not been for Bryce Young's heroics, and this game kind of played out the same way. 
Um, <clears throat> what this shows me, Mike, is that Texas's problem is not that they don't have players. Uh, Texas's problem is they don't consistently get up and play ball. Uh, you know, this shows you how capable that team and that program has been for years. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do the rest of the way. Does this kind of inspire them to say, hey, well, look, you know, we have a chance to be really, really good and win the Big 12 and maybe get another shot at Bama later this year? Or do they flounder around and don't show up half the time and, you know, wine and cheese, whatever you want to call it, uh, and that, you know, hey, the Alabama thing was a nice memory, but, you know, you lost and you've lost about four or five more. Uh, that's the key. And that's going to be the key for Texas getting into the SEC in a couple of years because um, you have to bring it just about every week. I mean, yeah, instead of, you know, you don't get a Kansas, although Kansas beat them last year, beat West Virginia, uh, but, but you don't get a breather. You know, you, you, you're going to Ole Miss. You're playing Arkansas. You're playing Mississippi State and what they bring. You're playing LSU. Uh, you're playing Oklahoma and A&M still. Um, and so that's going to be the key for Texas is to, is to kind of realize, hey, look, when we play, we have enough players to play with anybody in the country. We just don't always do it. And so yeah. I think that's, that's the lesson for them. If I'm Bama, I'm not panicking right now because, hey, you've been there before. And the week after you struggled to beat um, Auburn on the road, you go to Atlanta and, and you're the only team that uh, beat Georgia and you score 41 points doing it. So, you know, sometimes Nick Saban, when he has a game like this, you know, that's when he's at most at his most dangerous. So I, I wasn't as concerned about Bama. It did, the result surprised the crap out of me. But uh, I wasn't as concerned about Bama as maybe some people were. Yeah, I would have to chalk it up to one of those X factor situations. You're right. Uh, if the quarterback isn't injured for Texas, JC, it's probably a different story. Uh, but even then, for Alabama, they've lost games before, and they're still right there at the end of the, of the year in the conversation, or or just outright winning the title. But to me, this was early kickoff on the road at Texas. Two traditional teams. Fan base was behind them. Uh, I just think it was one of those situations where Alabama walked into a hornet's nest and while they were lucky to get out alive, I don't know that this is the Texas that we're going to see week in and week out for the rest of the season. I think that was number one team in our home, early kickoff. Let's get them early and see what happens. And now I'll remind everyone too, Georgia in 2017 played for the national title, went to Notre Dame, won by the exact same score in week two, 20 to 19, uh, and still won the SEC and all that. Now, Jake Fromm was starting for them that game as a true freshman, et cetera, et cetera. The circumstances were different, but, you know, teams can escape some of these, you know, early season games on the road and and still have a a good go of things. I, I would be very concerned, though, if I were Alabama, uh, about facing Arkansas two weeks from Saturday. That, that Arkansas is very impressive. They're very impressive. I, I still think Mississippi State, that's my team that finished second in the West, uh, I, I think they're very impressive. Um, they just haven't had that spotlight game yet. They go on the road and they beat Arizona. And some people might say, well, so what? But again, they go on the road, which very few SEC teams do to the Pac-12 territory and win a game that could be losable. So Will Rogers just continues to light it up game after game after game. And nobody talks about him. Talk about being an under the radar guy. Um, so yeah, I, again, I don't think it's, incomprehensible that Alabama or Georgia could lose a game. I just don't see them losing more than one in a route to meeting in Atlanta. 
And that's why I, I think it's an easy pick. By the way, I couldn't help think the SEC office watching that game. Um, this is like the perfect scenario because you want Alabama to win because they're in the SEC and Texas is not. But you want Texas to show like they belong. And Texas give a, gave a hell of a game. Crowd was unbelievable. From what I understand, uh, for game day, th- they were packed from like 7 a.m. on. It was everything that you want to, to kind of make a statement like, yeah, we'll be ready for you, SEC. Um, I will tell you this. As everybody's talking about Goo Goo Gaga over Texas, this my this was my first time in Oklahoma in ten years. I forgot just like how good Norman in Oklahoma is. Like it, it is every bit, and they've been a hell of a lot more successful than Texas. So while Texas gets all the limelight, Oklahoma's a program that's probably going to come in here and be much more of a factor right away. They've got the right coach. They continually get blue chip players all over the place. Uh, they own the state. They they recruit nationally. Um, they got 142 consecutive sellouts, which is the longest streak in the country. They've won more games than any team in college football since World War II. Like that is a huge pickup, and the way the coverage has been is like they got Texas, they got Texas, and Oklahoma too. Oklahoma could be much more of an impact and much more of a team that people don't want to play once they get in there. But either way, it's every time Texas and Oklahoma do things good, the SEC is smiling. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And if you're the Big 12, it's like, yeah, we're about to lose you guys anyway. It's just kind of a weird, <laughs> a, a weird vibe that's surrounding. And I still think that's going to, that divorce is going to happen early. I think 2024, everything is going to be situated. They're going to be in the SEC. Uh, uh, we're, the, the playoff is going to come a year or two early. And 2024 is my utopia year in college football. Uh, before we get into the Hot Haney Five, because I know, I know he's got a little bit of SEC, but some other SEC spotlight. Uh, Congratulations to Tennessee going on to Pittsburgh and finally beating Pitt for the first time in that uh, kind of odd rivalry. I guess you could call it the Johnny Majors Bowl of sorts. Uh, That's a big win for Hendon Hooker and Tennessee and and just and Josh Heupel and more of a statement that like they're on the right track. And and the Florida Kentucky game. um, I got to say this. The hype, the absolute incredible overreaction to Anthony Richardson in week one was so over the top, and it got exposed in week two by Kentucky. First off, you had people like talking about Heisman Trophy. The Heisman Trophy odds went from, I don't know, 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Everybody was jumping that bandwagon or comparing him to Cam Newton. I kept telling you folks he's not Cam Newton. He still hasn't thrown a touchdown pass this year. I mean, I've never seen a, a player so hyped that's thrown zero touchdowns, two picks, and is completing 52% of his passes through two weeks. Like they, it, it, he, He's got a ways to go. Uh, and I've got enough good sources there that have told me like they are concerned about him being a good, accurate passer. And at some point in big games, if you don't have that, it's a problem. Uh, Will Levis outplayed him. And Kentucky just continues to be that team that nobody is overly high on. And you can't name any players on their team. Uh, I can just by virtue of the fact I've had a lot of Kentucky games the last couple of years. But they they went into the swamp and they just Mark Stoops just reminded everybody. Yep, we're, we're, we're still here. We're still here. Enjoy your hype train. 
in, enjoy your Tom Petty at the end of the third quarter. Uh, we just beat you in the swamp for the second time. And Kentucky has been the ultimate thorn in Florida's side. So while you're talking about catching up to Georgia, there's a lot of programs that are like this in the East. What do we got to do to catch Georgia? What do we got to do to catch? You might want to catch Kentucky first because they keep spoiling the party for everybody else. So that was the other the other two games in the SEC that uh, that stood out. Yeah, Kentucky, they just kind of bleed you to death. And uh, they're going to play good defense. They're going to be sound fundamentally. They're going to execute their game plan. They're going to run the ball and, and try to stop the run. And I, and I think, unfortunately, for Billy Napier and the Gators, the, the secret's probably out. You know, you bottle Anthony Richardson up running the football. And, and look, this offense at Louisiana was the same same thing. You know, if their quarterback wasn't running it and, and they weren't able to get things going on the ground, you know, they were very pedestrian. Now, you know, in that league, it was a little bit different. They had more talent, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, they, they better fix that because I don't think – I don't think right now they can hang with Tennessee in a couple of weeks. Uh, not with the way the Vols are playing on offense. Tennessee's got an opportunistic defense. I wouldn't call it one of the best of the league, uh, but they got turnovers when they needed to get it uh, and save the day up in, uh, at Heinz Field. And I'll always call it Heinz Field, by the way. Uh, I've said that before. But, um, you know, so that's – It'll it. always I, be the big ketchup bottle to me as well. Yeah, I was say I can't even pronounce whatever it's called now. Uh, and uh, but, but I'll say this. I, I got to obviously watch South Carolina and Arkansas – and I'm telling you right now, Arkansas – and look, South Carolina probably did not play its best on defense especially. But that offense they have right now with Raheem Sanders and with uh, that K.J. Jefferson who just basically, if you haven't bottled up for a three-yard gain, he's going to fall forward for four or five. Uh, and then you get Kendall Browse in third and less than five. It's brutally difficult to stop. I mean, yeah. because because Browse runs all this eye candy and motions and, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you want to stack the box. He's just going to throw it over the top of you like his dad. That's what I love about Kendall Browse. The Browse offense in general, I'm going to keep beating this this drum and they run a variation of it, Tennessee, variation of Ole Miss, variation at Arkansas. And it's really like watching three different styles of play, same offensive system. It's so versatile and so good. And K.J. Jefferson is just a freak. When it comes to running the football, he's got a good back. And their offensive line, I could care less like if what star rating they were out of high school. That may be the best offensive line in the country. Those guys will battle you. They're all strong. They're all athletic. There's not a lot of big fat guys on the line. Uh, they were impressive. I, I think they've got a good scheme of things on defense. Drew Sanders, who came over from Alabama. Uh, is huge, a huge transfer portal guy for yeah, them. He's a whole, stud. Holy terror. He won the Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week. I mean, he, he was just crazy. Just, just kamikaze against the Gamecocks. Um, look out for the Hogs. I was talking to a, a friend of mine from another podcast today. He, he was on my Gamecock show. He says he thinks Arkansas is the top five team in the country. We'll see. But uh, I, I was uh, way more impressed with Arkansas than I was maybe disappointed in the Gamecocks. Yeah, the only thing, I, and I watched three quarters of that game, and I know they they put some points on the board late, um, but I I texted you because I'm watching in my hotel room in Norman, and I watched Spencer Rattler three times had guys who beat their their man downfield, and if you throw it on target, it's a big play, if not a touchdown. And three times he overthrew him, 
before he threw an ill-advised interception. Um, there's work to go. Like uh, we've talked about, it. that's a huge pickup to get a five-star guy with those kind of skills there. But <laughs> there's a reason why he got benched at OU, and it's not all Caleb Williams. Like at times, Spencer Rattler. Uh, it, it, there's an there's an accuracy. I keep going back to that word accuracy, and I know it's a boring word, and I know it doesn't make Sports Center and people don't want to talk about that. They all want to talk about that. They love the word dynamic. Anybody that can run the ball is dynamic. He's dynamic. He's dynamic. Please, let's find another word for that. Um, but give me a guy who puts the ball on target more than dynamic. Now, if you can have the best of both worlds, you have Josh Allen, you have Pat Mahomes, but if you have to pick one out of two. I want a guy who can hit open receivers in stride because when you're playing a team like Arkansas that is salty on defense and well-coached, you only have so many of those opportunities left. So I don't mm-hmm. care if you finish with 370 yards passing. I, that, that, that's, that's empty calories to me. When do you get those yards? Do you get them when the game is tight and it's on the line and, and you have those few open windows? Or do you just stockpile them late where it it's not a huge factor in the game? So, um, yeah, that that those are some of the things. Again, not burying the kid. He he still has a chance to be really really good, but he's just not there yet. I didn't think it was a great game for him. wasn't It wasn't quite the the mess that it was for Anthony Richardson at Florida, but it wasn't a great game for him. And and if, when you're one of those programs like. We've talked about this so much in the SEC. There's going to be a lot of swing games for these middle teams. It's Bama and Georgia, Bama and Georgia. And then at the bottom, it's it's going to be Vandy and somebody else. Missouri, probably. <clears throat> Missouri, Missouri was a dumpster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Missouri is, yeah. Um, but then you look at those 10 teams in the middle, and you're going to have a ton of close games and a ton of swing games. And I'm telling you right now, the difference is going to be quarterbacks who are able to make plays and quarterbacks who don't make plays in those key moments. All right, let's get to that hot Haney five. Those are some of the uh, other things that we wanted to get to Michael Haney, without further ado, the world has been waiting for this for seven long days. People talk about it. They set their watch to it. Uh, The stock market, it, it ebbs and flows based on the morale of the hot Haney five people feel good or, are morbidly depressed based on the hot Haney five. So you got a lot of pressure on you as you deliver these five hot topics in college football. All right, Mike. Well, let's kick it off with number one. There's a lot of morbidly depressed people in Lincoln, Nebraska, because Scott Frost has been fired, as uh, you stated at the outset here, with the the first major domino to fall in the college football world. You talked about all these swing games and close games for middle-tier uh, SEC teams. Well, Scott Frost, 5-22 and 22 in one-score games during his tenure in Lincoln. He was 16-31 and 31 overall, so 22 of the 31 losses were by one score. Just agonizingly brutal ways to lose games, but when you lose that many, ultimately it comes back uh, to you and, and the way that you're doing things as a head coach. So Trev Alberts uh, goes ahead and makes the decision to move on uh, from Scott Frost. Uh, coincidentally enough, uh, the loss came to Georgia Southern, who was – coached by none other than Clay Helton, who was fired almost a year ago to the day at Southern Cal. So uh, here we see two blue blood programs within the span of a season uh, fire their coaches within the first few weeks of the year. Uh, Guys, all of the things that we could look at in in terms of Nebraska and where they're going to go moving forward, but I have a a larger question in, in terms of where college football is headed. Do you think now, based on what USC did last year with Helton, what we're seeing now at Nebraska, 
with all of the influx of, of money coming through with players getting NIL benefits and different things of that nature moving forward, uh, the playoff expanding, are we going to start seeing more uh, of college football, which we already know is a business, be run more like a business, like some of these professional leagues where, you know, after a certain number of weeks, if you're in the NBA or the NHL or whatever, if you haven't hit a certain benchmark, you're gone. Is college football going to start getting to that point or is this just more of a flash in the pan situational deal with these schools? No, I think we're already there is a short answer to your question. Um, and, and, you know, God help Brian Harson if they get on, get to a bad start in Auburn. I don't think they'd wait till the end of the year on the planes either. Uh, think about this. They could have waited a couple more weeks. Nebraska could have and saved seven and a half million dollars in terms of what they were paying for the buyout. They That's said, done. No. <laughs> yeah, That's because, because, done. because big time programs – uh, JC, you and I talked about this in 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 uh, the discussion about Will Muschamp. And big time programs don't sit there and and worry about how much they pay on a buyout. Like when it's time, it's time. Auburn spent twenty four million to get rid of Gus Malzahn. Uh, Ed Orgeron has been laughing and yucking it up about the seventeen and a half million that LSU paid for him to exit. Uh, you, you don't you don't sit there with, with the money that's coming in through the cash register of big-time programs in the SEC and the Big Ten in particular, you don't sit there and worry about, well, if we wait another month and a half, we can save 7.5. No, that's a that's a rounding error, a rounding error on uh, on the budgets for these programs right now. The, look, the Scott Frost thing, what, what can be said that hasn't be, been said? It's I, I, like almost everybody, thought this was a can't-lose hire. Uh, Scott Frost did a very good work at UCF and then turns down the floor at a job and then goes to his alma mater. And you're thinking if this guy can't do it, mm. no one can in Lincoln. Well, it'd be one thing if he just got blown. Like you, you mentioned the, I think you mentioned the overall record. Um, it's awful. Uh, it'd be one thing if you were just getting blown out. Like there was a time where, uh, you just think a certain like you know, I think of certain coaches that were just at wit's end and and they weren't even being competitive. The problem with Scott Frost teams is that they were being competitive, but to go five and twenty two in one score games is almost impossible. Like I just saw a Tim Donahue uh Netflix special about referees in the NBA. By the way, I recommend it highly. Basically, influencing games against the spread. And to go five and twenty-two and a one, if you didn't know any better, and this is not the case, let me just stress in bold letters and underline it. This is not what happened. But if you didn't know any better, you'd say this is almost like somebody's on the take and making sure Vinny and them get get what they want and take twenty twenty. What is it? Seventeen out of the twenty-two one-score games. You got to work hard. Or no, 22 out of the 27. You got to work hard to lose those games at that frequency. It's it's almost impossible to do that. So they're good enough talent-wise to compete. It's not like they don't have anybody. But they they continually found games to lose, close games, and that is 100% coaching. I'm the first one to say it's about the Jimmys and the Joes, but when you're good enough to continually stay close, but bad enough on the sideline to continually find ways to lose, highlighted, of course, by the onside kick in Dublin, but there's so many more examples of it. 
that says to me that Nebraska might not be as far off as we think. Yeah, there's culture that needs to be fixed. Yeah, there's something that's clearly uh, uh, off compared to what it was. By the way, it wasn't like people were driving a Studebaker the last time Nebraska was good, right? It wasn't like we were listening to eight tracks the last time Nebraska was good. The CD was prominent. We were driving really fast fuel injection cars in the 90s when they won three out of four national titles. This fall from grace is legendary. It's absolutely legendary to go from not just a really good year, but a dynasty of sorts to where they are now. Well, I'm just going to say one last thing on it. They are not getting Mark Stoops. If I hear this one more time, you're not Mark Stoops is not leaving Kentucky for Nebraska. I can give you a thousand reasons why that'll never happen. Stop wasting your time on that rumor. Way too intelligent people that cover this sport for a living are reporting that as a prominent uh, possibility. It's simply not. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I, I just want to say, you know, you mentioned Appalachian State uh, earlier and then obviously what they did with A&M um, this week. Anybody that's been watching college football for a long time has seen the growth and the build of of what Appalachian State is from, you know, the, the flashbulb win w- with Michigan. But even with different coaching changes, Appalachian State has an identity. Nebraska had an identity until what you just mentioned. This fall from grace, they decided to, to change what they were and try to have a spread offense and and try to grow within in the game. And that that's just not it. They've changed conferences. We see a school that's building itself at a program that's building itself with Appalachian State. How in the hell does Nebraska not understand that this is they needed to always just be who they were? And we wouldn't be talking about this right now. I think the conference change killed them. I, I don't yeah, think they agreed. have much in common with, you know. Yeah. Okay. So they border Iowa and, and that's a big game at the end of the year. They used to play Minnesota back when they're in the big eight. That's a bit, but that's not that they don't get up for them. Like they do for Oklahoma and Texas and Missouri and even the Kansas schools and uh, Iowa state. And, and, and those guys, I mean, it, 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 they've, they're kind of a fish out of water. Um, and you know, they have a habit of, of firing guys that win eight or nine games like Frank Solich and Bo Pelini. Sometimes that comes back to bite you. I'm shocked. I'm just as shocked as you guys are that the frost hire didn't work out. Uh, I, I understand leaving your identity a little bit because I, I felt like Scott Frost would be able to recruit better out there in terms of speed. And if you look at that division, uh, a, 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 a loaded with speed Nebraska spread offense with a good quarterback. I'm not convinced they ever had one uh, <clears throat> against the ground and pound in that division. Uh, it's scary. I mean, I, I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Um, you know, Wisconsin better look out. But they never even came close. They got worse. I think what Nebraska needs to do is forget the past. Admit right now you're not getting the players you used to get. You'll probably never get the players you used to get uh, unless you start winning big again. Uh, and I, I'd go with a guy that does more with less, uh, you know, and, and Frost – Really, at UCF, wasn't that guy. I think at UCF, they're always going to have a certain amount of skill talent. The state of Florida, if you look at Trace, kind of the recruiting before he built his team there, there were a lot of guys, Florida and Florida State should have offered, Miami should have offered, that didn't that ended up at UCF that were really, really good. Um, I, I think that, you know, you, you, you know, yes, Mark Stoops is the ultimate more with less guy. Uh, if that is not a possibility, uh, I think you got to look at Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Uh, if he would jump, um, that's the type of guy. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, 
That's the type of guy. The problem is, whereas 10 years ago, even, even 12 years ago, a lot of those guys would jump at the chance to go to Nebraska, right? It's it's Nebraska, for God's sake. Well, they've fallen so far, and it's proven to be such a difficult job, and the expectations don't match with what, with what they actually can accomplish. Um, and they got great fans, and they're patient or, or whatever, but, you know, obviously – 16 and 31 is not up to standard. Losing to Georgia Southern is not up to standard. Um, you, you know, it, it's a place that I think still has a chance, but that's fading quickly. Um, you, you almost, you know, Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina has been mentioned for that job. Uh, there's a long list of guys. That would be good. Jamie runs like a dynamic, you know, tough to stop offense. He knows how to go find players to fit it, that type of thing. Um, because you have to do something. I mean, you, you can't just sit there and keep, you know, hiring this guy, that guy, or whatever, and, and hoping it'll work because you're in Nebraska. You got to say, okay, what's the problem? The problem is recruiting uh, because you haven't recruited speed and you, you don't have a lot of skill and you haven't recruited quarterbacks. Um, okay, well, who can come in here and find guys that can come in and play to where we can compete, not, not in the league as a whole right now, but in this division, because, man, Southern Cal and, and, and UCLA are about to join up. Man, they're going to be left in the dust. Nebraska, will, will it'll be one of the biggest downfalls in the history of this sport, and, and it's sad. But I, I think they get, they need to not go with the no-brainer guy. They need to go find a guy, kind of like the guy that coaches at K-State or the guy that Kansas has right now, those types of guys that, that can kind of manufacture wins because that's unfortunately the shape that their program's in right now. Uh, Michael, to your point, go back to what – look, if they were going to do that, you go after Troy Calhoun who runs the option at Air Force, and don't look now, but Air Force is relevant again. He's doing a terrific job. He's a good coach. I don't think you can win big time. You know, Paul Johnson tried it at Georgia Tech. Uh, I realize Nebraska's got more going for it than Georgia Tech, but still, I, I what happens – <clears throat> what happens when you run that kind of offense and you lose, people will continually just say it's the offense, it's the offense. You can't recruit players that want to play in the NFL in, a, in an NFL-type offense. So the genie's out of the bottle, unfortunately, for going to the Big Ten. I think, to J.C.'s point, that was an awful, awful move. Uh, that's not a knock on the Big Ten. It's just it's not a fit. It's just not a fit. If you could, if you could get a mulligan on that, I'm sure they'd – gladly give up some of the revenues and go back to the big 12 where they were much more successful and seem to be a better fit, but that's, that's done. You can't undo it. I don't think. Um, and so now I, I think JC, you hit on the key names that, that I would look, look at. I mean, I'd offer Matt Campbell more money. You, what do you call it? Caged animal syndrome, JC yeah. on the higher. Yeah, I, I'd be a caged animal AD and offer Matt Campbell so much stinking money that he could not possibly say no, even though he gets paid a lot of money in Ames and he's very happy in Ames. And if anything, Matt Campbell could still take an NFL job, but I would at least give my all to try to make that happen. You mentioned Leopold at Kansas. Uh, He's done a terrific job already Had great success at the one double a level. I just don't know. I don't know. If Nebraska, forget about being like national title or even playoff good. Like, when is Nebraska going to be relevant again? Even if you get this higher right, I don't know, but that's up to Trev Alberts to figure it out. 
All right. Question number two um, and another hire that I think a lot of people felt was was right. You talk about big time programs making moves. You, you just go get it when you want to get it. And Texas A&M, they pried Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State with a ton of money. Uh, however, guys, I'm going to read a set of numbers for you here. Um, through their first 50 games, Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Kevin Sumlin, 36 and 14. Jimbo, 35 and 15. Against the top 25, Sumlin, 9 and 11. Jimbo, 7 and 10. Road games, Sumlin, 12 and 5. Fisher, 7 and 9. And upsets as the uh, Caesar Sportsbook favorite. Sumlin was upset four times as head coach. And now Jimbo Fisher after the App State embarrassment, six. So for a guy who was uh, making a lot of money and supposedly a quarterback guru and offensive guy got a ton of talent at texas a&m there's no mm -hmm. doubt about that but but guys what what's going on with jimbo fisher and, and not being able to find a consistent quarterback there in college station all right i'll keep it quick because i know we went long in the last one a to be fair he didn't he did not inherit a heisman trophy game-changing quarterback like johnny manziel did kevin someone had johnny manziel for two years and that's where most of those wins came from. When my, when Manziel moved on to the NFL, that was the end of Kevin Sumlin as having any success in College Station. B, the quarterback guru, which is usually, when you think about it, that's like the ultimate hex. It's like calling a coach a genius. When you start using terms like that, you're basically setting them up to fail. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is a quarterback guru. I think he's had some success, and that's that's where he makes his bones is on offensive uh, strategy and working with quarterbacks. But when you have Jameis Winston, that's one thing. When you have the stable that he's had here, that's another. Uh, C, and I said this at the beginning of the year, and I'm still amazed that the move hasn't been made. Uh, more often than not, when there's a quarterback controversy or battle what i notice coaches are doing guys is they just take the better athlete because they feel like if it's close let's just take the guy who runs better haynes king is a freakish athlete who runs extremely well he's fast he's much faster than max johnson he's not a better quarterback i i think max johnson should be the guy and i predict he will be the guy i think if they had that to do over uh they they would have started Max Johnson, who's already proven he can play quarterback pretty well at this level, which is what he did at LSU last year. Yeah, and Max isn't slow either. He's not as good of a runner as Haynes, but he you know he, he dart out there and get some yards at LSU. And I uh, I was surprised he didn't win the job either, Mike. And um, I I think that uh, I think uh, just reading stuff today, I think it's probably coming because uh, they have to. You know, they got Miami. This weekend, nationally televised primetime game, uh, and then it doesn't get any easier. We've got Arkansas after that. They could start one and five. One and five. I don't think they will, but they could actually realistically start one and five. And that would uh they have then they have an open date. So I don't know. Uh stranger things have happened. I, I don't know that the Aggies are willing to eat that contract right now, but uh you know, shoot. No, a one, it, it, a one in five start yeah. would be just a, the wheels would be coming. Well, up. God. Yeah. I mean, but let's, I should have made that D. I don't think Jimbo, I, I hear the talk. He's not on the hot seat. They're not going to fire him. Uh, they can't, not because of the money. They just, they just can't hit the reset button that quickly and give up on a guy that clearly 
there are very powerful people that wanted that man from the start and then made sure when there was the hint, so much as a hint that he might leave for LSU, they, they G'd him up a second time. Like there's just, there's no way that, that he, they're going to dispose of him that early. Now, We'll see how this season turns out. We'll see how there's been a lot of games to be played, as we all know. But 2023 will definitely be a pressure-packed year for Jimbo Fisher because at that point, I think all bets are off. I, I think enough time has passed. Look, he didn't inherit a great situation from Kevin Sumlin, but by the same token, it, it's it, it's not that you thought you'd be playing for national titles right now, but you certainly thought, you'd see some better results and, and better things on the offensive side of the ball. All right, guys, moving along to the Aggies rival uh, in Texas. Let's go back to that conversation we were having at the outset of the show. Um, again, Texas, they, they took it as a moral victory. Uh, you hear Sarkeesian after the game saying that, you know, he's proud of his, his players. He didn't look at it so much as a loss, but uh, showing that they could compete and compete with the number one team in the country. It seems a lot of uh, the, uh, at least media votes uh, took that to heart as well. I, I swore that I personally would never get worked up over uh, in-season polls, uh, at least until we get to the college football playoff polls, which is the one that ultimately matters in the end anyway. But Texas finds themselves ranked number 25 after losing to number one Alabama. I'm putting this in here because I have a personal problem with that. I want to see what you guys feel about the Longhorns seemingly getting uh, rewarded uh, with a, a media vote to be put into the top 25 after a loss at home. Well, number one, you should never get stressed over a, a media poll, Michael. It's bad for your complexion. Uh, and I, understand. I know, you know, as a guy who has to perform on stage and, and all those young lady ladies who love their country music and, and you know, they, they want you to, they want you clean faced and, uh, and unstressed and, uh, looking at your very best. So that's the most important thing that the most important takeaway that I give to your answer Thank for you, number Mike. three. Uh, the other thing is I don't really have a uh, because the polls are so inconsequential. It doesn't bother me. I mean, basically what they're saying is we're going to reward you, Texas, for scheduling a difficult game against Alabama and and giving a valiant effort. Uh, if I went and I didn't even I don't even look at the polls anymore. If I went and looked at 20 through 25, could I find um, you know, could I find teams that I think Texas can beat ahead of them? Yeah, probably. So it, we can't say it's all merit based. It's it, at this point we've only played two, three games. It, it's just a beauty contest, and they won some. They won some beauty vote. They looked pretty good in the bikini in that game, even though they didn't win it. I, I tend to agree. I, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I I think generally these days, sometimes the the media that, that votes for these things, they get a little lazy uh, and they've sort of, instead of looking at reality, I think sometimes they reward hype. Um, I, I don't understand dropping Alabama and then you, you're going to put Texas in the top 25. To me, that, that doesn't make any logical sense, but uh, not much does. I mean, the same group had A&M sixth. Hmm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's right. They still. Six. I always forgot. It's, it's hard to even. Uh, you oh, always, they're still ranked too. Aggies are twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. So now you're forcing me to look at this thing. Um, Pitt dropped six spots to twenty third. Penn State twenty two. They take on Auburn. So there's Texas at twenty one. I, I mean, 
Oregon's 25. Could Texas beat Oregon? Sure. Especially if they had uh, a healthy yours. Mm-hmm. Could they beat Wake? Uh, you know, I'm a big Sam Hartman, Wake Forest guy, but they could beat Wake. They could beat Florida. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't have a big problem with it. All right. Well, there we go. I guess I'll just hold on to that one myself. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> you need to let go. Let, let go, Michael. You keep that anger to yourself, Mike. Just just don't take it out on innocent I, I pedestrians. Wanted, yeah, I, I will not. I will not. All right. Well, that's good. Well, maybe you guys can talk me off the ledge uh, a little bit uh, later on with that. Let's move on to number four. Uh, and coming up this week, let's look ahead. Uh, we've got Bobby Petrino, who's been doing a great job at Missouri State uh, at, at a lower level. No one ever questioned Bobby Petrino's coaching ability. It was all the other stuff that came along with it. But he heads back to Arkansas. Uh, JC had some very nice things to say about the Hogs earlier after their game with South Carolina. But Bobby Petrino heading back to the sidelines to face the Hogs here. I, I just have a an overall question here. What what does this remind you or what does this make you think of in terms of um, maybe some of the most awkward reunions that we've seen from head coaches or or people going back to particular places after it didn't end necessarily well? Well, Hugh Freeze went back to Ole Miss last year, didn't he? Yeah. Now, that's that's a little – I mean, I still have a bumper sticker uh, – when all that was going down and he hadn't quite been fired yet. And it said, we stand by Hugh freeze. They were handing him out. I was getting ready to broadcast a game. Uh, you know, Wayne Kiffin has kind of let people forget about that because Lane's already had some success, but for a few years there, there were still a lot of Ole Miss people that were like, did we really have to fire the guy? <laughs> could we, could we just, could we just get our point across? Maybe, you know, Take away the cell phone, uh, you know, take away the Netflix, uh, you know, you're kind of like you're grounded for a few months, but, but that was awkward. Um, I would say, you know, Spurrier coming back to the swamp as a South Carolina coach. I remember broadcasting that game on a, on a tape delayed. And that was just a bizarre feeling all around. It's just, just weird. Like eventually people got used to it and, Steve now is prominently loved, I think, by both fan bases, and he has a great appreciation for his time at both schools. But that first year back in the swamp, that was that was a weird, weird vibe. Um, those are two that that stand out off off the bat to me, JC. Uh, you still you talked about Lane Kiffin, uh, him going back to Knoxville last year. Yeah, and that's, then, yeah. And then they, they threw everything <laughs> on the field. I mean, because. Like, you know, look, Spurrier left and, you know, went to the NFL, came back. It was still awkward. I remember that game. The Gamecocks had a field goal blocked and an extra point blocked. At right. The end. Otherwise, they would have beaten the national champs. That would have caused some probably angst and consternation on the part of Gator Nation. But, uh, you know, that Lane Kiffin thing, they've been waiting on him, you know, because he's never really had a chance to come back and coach at Tennessee. and so Lined up all the mustard bottles. Yeah, and he just and he left in the middle of the night. I mean, that that was sort of bad. He left uh, after and, one year, yeah. seven and six, and leaves them in the fold, and they didn't recover from that for about ten years. So yeah, I, I understand that that bitterness. By the way, did you guys see the dunk tank? I forget where this was, but <laughs> somewhat, they set up a dunk tank where you could throw mustard bottles, and if you hit the target, then Lane falls down in the. Or a fake lane falls down in the water, but uh, nothing yeah, funnier than a dunk tank, man. Nothing gotta love a good dunk tank. tank. Yeah, I love it. Uh, how or Orger, Orgeron maybe going back to Ole Miss? 
yo, yo, yo. Uh, and some Oreo. This, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some others. Probably, you know, it's probably oh, Mike Leach. You know, has never gotten a chance to play Texas Tech. I would imagine if he went back and coached in Lubbock and with the the, I think there's still a lawsuit that he's filed there. I mean, that would be good. And Texas Tech's actually owned. Mississippi State schedule here in a couple of years, so <laughs> we'll see if if that lasts and that happens. Um, you know, there's been there's going to be an awkward moment when Will Muschamp uh, is on the sidelines at Georgia this weekend, coming back to South Carolina. There's there's a lot of Gamecock fans that don't really have a lot of appreciation for Will Muschamp, and uh, and uh, I don't I, I think it's overblown. I think that was you know, Muschamp didn't leave in the middle of the night like Kiffa and he always worked hard. It was just kind of a business thing. Didn't work out. There's no need to hate on the guy, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that could get awkward, uh, this weekend, but, uh, yeah, uh, that Bobby Petrino thing, man, whew, that's, uh, that, that, that's going to be something else. I mean, they're going to get tattooed. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Missouri state, but, um, that it'll be interesting to see uh, how the hog fans sort of react because, that was just a bad situation. Arkansas was rolling. Uh, and then they immediately go into the wilderness with John L. Smith, Brett Belima, Chad Morris, and now they're back out with Sam Pittman. But that, that, that Petrino, they would have kept right on going had Petrino not uh, gotten busted on a motorcycle with a uh, – A neck pretty, brace. Any infamous nice, neck brace uh, nice. press conference. <laughs> the, the neck brace press conference was epic. And uh, it was just like – uh, so um, it, it is amazing because I talked to people here in Atlanta who covered the Falcons when he was the coach here. And it's the same thing. Like he was a grade a a hole. And as somebody can be so good at what they do and all you have to be is a semi nice person and you can overcome a lot of that other stuff. But he was universally hated by people around him is what I found out. Everywhere. It doesn't matter where we're talking. Arkansas, Louisville, um, the Falcons. The the man just rubs everybody the wrong way. And you just wonder how. I I guess we all we all have come across somebody like that. Right. I mean, there's people in in our business. There's people you just know randomly. There's the guy you play pickup basketball with that never. I mean, there's just always that one person like. Good God, do they ever just look in the mirror and say, why am I such an a-hole? Why can't I just be a decent person? And unfortunately, that's the case for Petrino because he is a brilliant coach. And Hugh Freeze is a good coach. Now, Hugh's not an a-hole. He just had screw-up after screw-up. Some, some screw demons. Up. Yeah, he's actually a good guy. I think Hugh is. But it's funny because, like, you know, think about this. Auburn tried to hire Bobby Petrino in the middle of the night and, and then they got they got busted up somehow. And they yeah. were just – I mean, think on the about plane. that, dude. Auburn. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I love that trip down memory lane, man. The, the Petrino stuff, when that news broke, I remember being on the air uh, back in the old radio days uh, back in South Carolina, and that was, man, what a humdinger of a story. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was, oh, that like, was. I'm sorry, um, wait, what? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. What? Uh, very yeah. salacious details there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to uh, the final uh, topic here of the uh, Hot Haney Five. Uh, we go on back to the college football playoff. The commissioners met last week, last Thursday in Dallas, and there was a, a little bit of an interesting thing. I want to get you you guys' thoughts uh, on this particular one. Conference USA Commissioner uh, Judy McLeod and 
um, and we had American Athletic Conference uh, Commissioner Mike Oresco both uh, say afterwards in their comments and that they're going to start vowing that we get rid of the phrase, the group of five. Uh, McLeod said, quote, the group of five label needs to go away. Uh, Oresco saying, quote, let's call it FBS. That's what we wanted to do all along. Not every FBS conference is created equal. We know this, but the point is, why not have a hierarchy at the end that you can earn? Now, at least you have some access, end quote, from Mike Oresco. Uh, guys, your feelings as we progress with the uh, playoff going to 12 teams, uh, the thoughts that we, I guess, stop having that dividing line between Power 5 and Group of 5. Mine's quick. I'll say something quick. Yeah, go ahead. McLeod needs to just shut up. <laughs> okay, because Conference USA, you know, they're, you remember in Top Gun when uh, the, the, the first one, when they look at he looks at Goose and it's like you a hole are lucky to be here. <laughs> you remember that? Oh yeah. Uh, the the ball hit. I don't remember the Colonel's name or the whatever the Colonel's name, but it, you know. Damn it, Maverick! She's lucky to be there. I mean, are they lucky to be there? It's not hers. The conference. I was like, maybe that's not the best. I mean, maybe you should roll the Sunbelt Commission out. And then Oresco's got a point. I mean, I, I see it because now it's just going to be one big happy playoff, right? Um. But the bottom line is, the Mike, you've called games at those schools and Power Five schools. I mean, mm-hmm. they're night, they're night and day, buddy. I mean, you you were Norman this past weekend. I remember one time you went to Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's right. Yeah, and there's a big there's a difference. There's a slight difference. Yeah, there's a slight difference between uh, Norman and Las Cruces. There's a slight difference between uh, Austin, Texas, and Murfreesboro. You know, there's a slight difference between Tuscaloosa and Ruston, Louisiana. I've been to all of these places to call games, and I can tell you there is a major difference between uh, Group 5 and Power 5. And Mike Oresco, it should be noted, uh, who I'm, I'm impressed with when I hear him interviewed, and he's, he's on there a lot, is not afraid to tell people for years, he said, it's the Power 6, not the Power 5, and we are the number 6. So he loved that phrase trying to incorporate the American. Now the American got completely poached and by the big 12 and the sun belt. And so uh, the American is not going to be the American as we knew it. And conference USA. I mean, I don't, again, I don't know who's going to be left because they're going to lose FAU. They're going to lose Charlotte. They're going to lose UAB. They're going to lose a lot. I, I don't, I don't know who's left. So, you know, this is a conference that, again, had opportunities to uh, just continue TV deals with the likes of ESPN and Fox and decided, you know what, we're going to be the smartest person in the room. We're going to go and stream our games on outlets that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, so, yeah, as far as the American is concerned, and I think the American's done valiant work. It's not Mike Oresco's fault that he's about to lose half his league. But, again, they they wanted to be called the Power Six <laughs> Now that they're about to be completely savaged by uh, bigger leagues, then it's like, well, let's, let's get rid of all these nicknames and let's identities. We're all just one big happy family. I don't care what you call it. Um, the fact of the matter is those five leagues, like you said, JC, compared to what the other five have to deal with, it's night and day. And so, you know, if you're a head coach in those leagues, I don't think they mind the group five designation because it reminds everybody, hey, I have to beat teams with much less resources than the other guys. You should know this. I want you to know 
what's the famous Bill Parcells quote? If you're going to ask me to cook the meal, then let me buy the groceries. Well, they don't get to buy the groceries. They are handed a a gift card to cash and carry while some while the Power Five coaches go into Whole Foods with ten times the amount to spend. So. Well, no matter what you call it, there's no denying the fact that there's a line in the sand between the haves and the, I don't want to say have-nots, but they have a whole lot less. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely true. And, hey, look, they're going to get their shot, you know, so we'll see what happens here pretty soon. And we're about to praise the Sun Belt, so this is not a anti-Group 5 thing at all. Mm-hmm. I love I love Group 5 football. I love, I, I just said at the top of the show, I think the playoff is a terrific thing in part because it keeps the group five alive. If you had, if you had changed the, the stipulations of that, of the framework of the playoff, the group five would be forever screwed. It would be like being relegated in soccer and don't get me started on no. relegation guy doing a 10 minute segment on sports talk radio saying that's what we need in college football. It's never going to happen. Don't waste uh, the people's lives having to hear that for 10 minutes. Michael Handy, number five. Uh, that was number five, Mike. Was five. That okay. was five. So now well, hey, let's move on. Hey, you can praise the Sun Belt all you want right now. All right, let's do that. Well, I'm going to do a little under the radar, and and that's that's going to be capped off by the Sun Belt. So I, I want to say, uh, first off, Chase Bryce. Remember we we gave him love uh, last week on under the radar. Yeah, he came through again this time with a win. Uh, how about Duke football? They're two and zero. They beat Northwestern. Nobody expected that to happen. You know who their head coaches, Bueller. Mike Elko. Mike Elko from Texas A&M. Yeah, offense wasn't the only problem on Saturday for Texas A&M. Maybe they miss Mike Elko a little bit. Maybe maybe Mike Elko, that's a heck of a hire for Duke football. A lot of people were surprised he took that job considering where Duke was. He's already got a big win. Uh, Congratulations to Lance Leopold. Kansas football. Kansas football was at the point where they were an underdog to some FCS teams. Yeah. Like they were like, you'd see Kansas taking on a power FCS school and you'd be like, I'm taking the power FCS school. Are you kidding me? It's Kansas. That they were that bad. They just won at West Virginia. They just won at West Virginia. Huge win for Kansas. Congratulations to Lance Leopold. Uh, terrific hire. Uh, I will mention this, the Kentucky linebacking core, Kentucky linebacking core. This is not me trying to be a hot take artist, but I'm telling you right now, Jordan Wright, who was all over the place in that Florida game, DeAndre Square, Jacquez Jones, J.J. Weaver, that might be the best linebacking core in the SEC. Don't believe me? Watch the Florida game. Watch how they played. Watch how they'll play this year. They don't have the help around them that an Alabama or Georgia does. That's a, that's a damn good linebacking unit, and they showed out in their win against Florida. And, yeah, finally, I give you the Sun Belt. Uh this is a great story. The Sun Belt now is the Power Six League, with all deference to the American. Georgia Southern, think about this. Think about the money that uh, changed hands <laughs> to in order for big-time – like A&M paid App State a million and a half to put their season sideways. By the way, did anybody know the coach of App State? I'll admit I had to look it up. Sean Clark. Sean Clark. Yeah. Sean he's... Clark was an assistant there since 2016. He replaced Eli Drinkwitz, who replaced Scott Satterfield. Who was Sean Clark? He's a former player there. He played at App State. 
there was a coach there. There's a player there. He knows the culture. Uh, if you've ever been to Boone for an App State football game, it's a special, special place. I love doing the one playoff game I did there. Uh, congratulations to App State. A Sunbelt member mentioned Old Dominion a week ago. How many people knew Old Dominion was in the Sunbelt? Georgia Southern. Where are they? The Sunbelt. They racked up 642 yards against Nebraska. Let me repeat that because Scott Frost doesn't run the defense. They racked up 642 yeah. yards against Nebraska. Boy, they. Uh, Georgia State, by the way, had North Carolina beat the week earlier. They could they could easily be on this list. A point is the Sun Belt has very quietly become the best Group Five league, mm-hmm. and 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 I mean that again as a compliment, not a, a disparaging remark at all. And I think because there's been so much movement and realignment, and we're so focused on the the Power Five, we kind of forget who's in there. Coastal Carolina, I had their bowl game last year. That was their first bowl game in history. Coastal's become I mean, they're on everybody's map now. The uh, the boys from Conway, not Myrtle Beach, Conway, South Carolina. Uh, James Madison was a 1AA powerhouse. They're 2-0. and Marshall, proud, proud program, proud tradition. The big win, of course, against Notre Dame. Uh, Georgia State, located here in Atlanta. They've already had great success in the Sun Belt, regular and bowl games. Uh, they've got a nice stadium. They, they're, they're on the rise. Louisiana, where Billy Napier came from, we know what they've done. South Alabama has pulled off upsets. Louisiana Louisiana Monroe, they handed Nick Saban a loss at Alabama in his first year. Uh, Troy has pulled off upsets, beat LSU not that long ago. Southern Miss used to be uh, a very popular team that would uh, stun people going back to the Brett Favre days. So, like, this is a good league, good fan bases that love college football, predominantly in the Southeast, a little bit spread out now. So uh, under the radar, not just because they picked up a couple of upsets, the Sun Belt as a whole, the people that have been in charge of that league have done it right, and they have quietly become the best Group 5 league. So kudos to the Sun Belt. Yeah, and I, and I think Southern Miss could be on their way back. I think this is the best thing that could happen to them is going to the Sun Belt because I, I, they're playing like-minded and like uh, similar schools and things like that. And you know, people forget Georgia Southern was a national championship level FCS program, just like App State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've kind of hit it out of the park. The Sun Belt has uh, taken advantage uh, of all this realignment, and you know done a pretty good job piecing together a hell of a league right now. I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see what teams win uh, and what teams make it out alive. I mean, and, and congrats, too, to the, the Mountaineers. They uh, they they are playing on – they have college game day coming to Boone this weekend. Isn't that great? And for does everybody the, know the, the story on that? Do you, do you know where they were going to go? Probably Texas A and M. That's right. They we're going to go to A and M. They called an audible at the last second. We're going to hell at. We'll go to Boone. Man, we'll have a good time Shoot. in Boone. Yeah. By the way, you can't say Georgia Southern without mentioning Irk Russell, who is like legendary over there. Um, yeah, App, App State is. That's the other thing. Like those places, there's a few teams, Division One, quite frankly, where football's an afterthought. Like they have a football team, and you don't even know why. Right, you just like we we're supposed to, so we have a football team. Those places are actually very passionate 
all those schools that we just talked about, like they, they go to games, they tailgate, they give a damn, like it's, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice setup over there. Uh, for so many of those, those schools. So congratulations to, uh, to the Sunbelt fun belt. Uh, oh, I got to do this before we get to, is there anything else where we get to the, uh, the picks picks. Nah. Okay. I, I promise I, I, I can't use that term. I could, but I'm going to be uh, kinder. I, I I messed the bed uh, last week because I've been promising one of our avid uh, listeners here on JC and Morgan. Again, we've got fans all over the place. We've got fans at different schools, and they're not all Power Five. We've got a huge UCF fan, UCF John. Uh, he went to school there. I've known him for a long time, and he, he was a UCF fan before being a UCF fan was cool. And he's not one of these obnoxious UCF fans that, like, puts a sign in their front yard saying, National Champions! No, he's not that guy. He is excited about the Big 12 as well as he should be. So I promised him we'd give, and Mike Oresco will be happy about this as well, uh, an around-the-league overview, but I would do it in 30 seconds for the AAC. Now, the first time, he did, like, 12 paragraphs. I was like, bro, I... We got other fish to fry than the AAC. So he kept it quick, quicker. So I'm going to do it. Put me on the clock. And here we go. UCF will be at FAU. UCF coming off a tough loss to Louisville. Ole Miss transfer John Reese Plumley. Solid first half, difficult second half. UCF defense played well. Big game for UCF to knock off the boys from Boca. AAC games of the week. Houston taking on Kansas. Houston coming off a double overtime loss to Texas Tech. We already talked about what Kansas did. And SMU at Maryland. Both teams are 2-0. SMU is supposed to make some noise in the AAC this year. A good road test for the Ponies to see where they're at. Boom! Was that under 30? Well done. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of a shocking loss. I mean, Louisville, the transitive property never works in college football, but Louisville's struggling. I mean, you, you talk about a potential hot seat guy, Scott Satterfield, who came from App State, they got the doors blown off of them by Syracuse. Sy- Let me repeat that. Syracuse. <laughs> Dino Babers blew yeah. them out. Uh, 31-7. And, you know, so they're going to UCF as an underdog. Reese Plumley's difficult to stop. Uh, and they went in there and won a tough game. I think uh, if, if I'm UCF, I'm a little concerned that that happened, even though that's a, that's a power five versus a G5. But uh yeah, uh, SMU Maryland should be interesting. Maryland's actually off to a you know two and zero start. They hadn't played anybody, but uh, that'll be a big test for the Terps and Mike Loxley to see if they can get bowl eligible again. One other game we should mention. It was immensely entertaining, and it was one that when I got done, I was still uh, awake in the hotel room, and it was still going on. Was uh, BYU and uh, they went over Baylor. Uh, again, BYU and I, I think I can't say this enough. What the Big Twelve did, the four teams that they're about to add after the heartbreaking losses of Texas, Oklahoma, kudos to that league because those are four great additions. They really are. BYU's a always, always very difficult team to beat. Uh, huge built-in fan base, and um, and they did it. And that that crowd was unbelievable. They beat the defending Big Twelve champions, and of course, they will be in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Before along with UCF, with Cincinnati, with Houston, and they go to Eugene this weekend. That's right. BYU goes to a, a sneak, weekend. a sneaky good game. Good mm-hmm. point. Good point. All right. Speaking of good games, so last week in the picks, Michael, uh, how did we do? And then what do you have for us? We do not know which games you're going to pick. 
All right, Mike, uh, you were a svelte three and two against the spread. Uh, JC, a little bit of work to to make up ground here. One and four last year against the spread. Uh, you guys only differed on two games uh, overall in the Southern Cal Stanford game and the UK um, and uh, Florida game there. But yeah, yeah, Baylor uh, did not do you any favors. Uh, speaking of BYU there, Iowa State um, coming back and, uh, and uh, knocking off uh, Iowa, that was the one win for UJC, and then obviously Pitt and a heartbreaking loss at home to Tennessee. Yeah, here I am. I'm praising BYU. They they screwed me over. I could have been four and one. Uh, if if Baylor, that that was like the game of college kicking ineptitude. If you watched it, and then you know, I feel like JC deserve a moral victory on Pitt because we picked them to cover the six and a half. They forced overtime, mm-hmm. so we were right in our line of thinking. But this is why. I don't gamble because you could be right in, in, in analyzing the game and then still lose the bet on a six and a half point spread that you're getting six and a half because they lose by seven in overtime. But I digress. You digress. Well, you guys were about to, you, you led me in anyway uh, to the first game that I was going to speak of with BYU and Oregon. Let's just stay on the topic there, guys. Heading all the way out to Eugene, as you said, JC, the Ducks, three and a half point home favorites over BYU, who just scored that big win last weekend. Uh, I'm going to take BYU. Uh, I think they're a tough, hard-nosed football team. You know, normally, you know, I, I, now will Oregon win the game straight up? Yeah, but I think BYU will play within three and a half. I, I expect it to go right down to the wire for BYU to get in there and really challenge them. And you know, I, and I think the Big Twelve membership too is is probably is energized their football program because I, I think they feel like, hey, we keep building and we keep coaching and we keep winning. You know that that conference entry is really going to help us uh, here in a couple of years. So I'm I'm going to go. I just haven't been that impressed with Oregon. I, I know they had a big win last week, but I, I think that uh, I think BYU goes in there and plays them tough. Uh, for the same reasons, I will I will take BYU in the points. Learned my lesson from last week. All right, got you both down for the Cougars. There, let's go to the plains of Auburn. The Nittany Lions of Penn State come to town and deep in SEC country. Two and a half point favorites are the fighting James Franklin's two and a half point favorites to Penn State, guys. That's, uh, tough. That's a tough one for me because I, I could see a scenario where Auburn wins. I know they struggled with San Jose State. They weren't too much better against Mercer. But, man, Penn State, I, you know, gosh, they kind of survived. Uh, heck, I'm going to go with Penn State to win by a field goal, so they'll cover the two and a half. Man, I, this again, these are games I would stay away from if I was actually betting. Uh, yeah. If Bo Nix was playing as much as Bo Nix takes a lot of crap, like I'd actually pick Auburn to win this. Um, but, but Bo Nix is not, playing for Oregon. He's playing for Oregon. Yeah. I really hate everything about picking this game. You know what? I'm going to, because Harson really, really needs this game. I'll take Auburn at home. I'll take Auburn at Jordan air. Crowd will be rocking. Uh, I will take the Auburn Tigers. All right. So got you guys down uh, the first difference this week between the two of you there. Uh, we move on Uh team that we've spent some time talking about Texas A&M hosting Miami do the Aggies rebound after uh, an embarrassing loss there at home? Five and a half point home favorites in spite of the loss 
Uh, maybe it would have been higher. Who knows? But Miami Hurricanes in College Station, uh, Aggies five and a half point home favorites. <laughs> well, Miami hadn't been very impressive either. Um, this was supposed to be the resurgence of Miami. Tyler Van Dyke uh, at times is looked more like Dick Van Dyke. That's a problem. Um, hey, but Dick Van Dyke's pretty fleet of feet, man. He, he, he was he before can... he recently passed away. He he uh, was he had some. Yeah, um, apparently you, you missed that on the uh, the ticker, but uh, Dick is no longer with us. But he was he was good for a time, and um, he was the guy that had those those PSAs, right? Stop, drop, and roll, Dick roll. Remember for the PSA for the fire? Anybody? All right, go back and YouTube that sucker. Uh, <laughs> I'm stalling here, as you can probably tell, because this is another one that I would definitely stay away from. I don't love either team. I don't love either team right now. Um, but it makes gonna, it so fascinating, Mike. I, I know. I'm going to take Miami plus the points. A&M could, very well could win it, but I how am I going to am I going to lay five and a half for A&M? I'll take the points. I'll take Miami. It, it kills me to do that. It's you know this is a big game. Everybody's going to talk about how big of a game it is for Jimbo Fisher. I think it's a big game for Mario Cristobal. I mean, they're twelfth right now. Sure, there's been times I haven't looked good, especially against Southern Miss last week. Uh, have gotten off to slow starts, so they're going to have to get off to a good start on the road so A&M continues to doubt itself. Uh, but I'm going to take Miami in the points. I, I feel dirty almost saying that, and not yeah. because I think Miami's dirty. It's because every other time I've taken Miami in a key situation like this, the last, oh, 10 years or so, I've been disappointed, but uh, – AM's issues uh, really kind of started the week before against Sam Houston State. That was a 31 0 win, but it was not all that impressive. Uh, I think Miami has enough offense and defense to get it done uh, on the road. And uh, the howls will continue in College Station, the, the rumbling will get louder. All right. Agreement on that one. Uh, now, a uh, final two for you here. A couple of more uh, intriguing uh, interconference matchups. We've got Michigan State on the road at Washington. Uh, the Huskies, three and a half point home favorites against the fighting Mel Tuckers. Ooh, it's intriguing. I'm going to go with Michigan State. And I like Washington's coach, Kalen DeBoer. I think he's really good. A lot of respect for that program, but. Uh, I think Michigan State's getting more and more solid uh, by the year. Uh, did, did Mel Tucker deserve $11 million a year? I, I would never go that far. Uh, but I, I do think they they play more consistent than maybe they used to. Uh, not just, just not quite sold on Washington yet. It's a tough place to play, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, the uh, Spartans to cover. Yeah, Michigan State's got a heck of a sugar daddy. Um, I was reading an article about him. He, he's, he's a, a graduate and made a just millions, if not billions. I think he's either a hedge fund guy or a commercial real estate guy. So that's how you get uh, a, a coach making that kind of money. Um, I'll take Michigan State. You say you're getting three and a half? Yeah. Yeah, yeah three I'll, take, and I'll take the points. I mean, oh. uh, what, am I, what am I buying in Washington right now? I'm not really sold on Washington. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the points in Michigan State. All right. Uh, we'll see if we got one more opportunity for you guys to disagree on one here. This is uh, one I had to rub my eyes and make sure that I, I wasn't looking at like a last year's bowl matchup. I just didn't expect to see these two teams that had slipped my my radar as, a, as an early season at a conference matchup. But 
Texas Tech Red Raiders on the road to Raleigh to face uh, number 16 NC State. Uh, Texas Tech getting a double overtime win over number 25 Houston last weekend. So we've got the Wolfpack as 10 and a half point home favorites over Texas Tech coming to town. What do you think? You can go ahead and put me down for Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah, I know where JC's going. He's uh, not exactly part of the Dave Doran fan club. <laughs> An- another name mentioned for the Nebraska job. I think uh, by week's end, uh, the three of us will be mentioned for the Nebraska job. Um, you know, NC State's got a supposed NFL quarterback who hasn't always played like an NFL quarterback this year. Texas Tech is well coached. Yeah, I'll take the Red Raiders. It's a high number. I'll take a lot of underdogs. I'll take Texas Tech as well. All right, one disagreement this week for you guys, and that was the Auburn and Penn State game. Yeah, and I and I anguished over that as well. That, that's a tough one to pick because it's okay. just like you, you want to kind of lean toward Penn State because Auburn struggled last week against uh, San Jose State. But, I mean, Harson, you look at last year, they had some games where they, they didn't look worth a flip, and then they'd come out and turn it on and, and you know, go beat Arkansas or something. So, yeah. You know, I, I just, uh, you know, the, the two and a half, if it, were, if it were three and a half, I'd probably take the Tigers. But two and a half, I'll just go ahead and take Penn State. There you have it. Uh, again, want to thank everybody for tuning in. Want to thank our uh, title sponsor, Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com. They were actually in Austin this past weekend getting the uh, game day crew fitted up. If you want to get fitted up, you can either go to their store in Oxford or you can just go online. You actually get yourself sized up virtually. Uh, it's pretty simple. Take a few steps, do it yourself at home. And then before you know it, you pick the jeans that you want and they're at your house and you will not find better quality jeans. That much I can promise you go to blue Delta jeans.com boys. It's been fun. We will do it again next week. What do you say? All right. Yeah, definitely. Go. Looking forward go. to it. All right. That'll do it for JC Sherbert and Michael Haney behind the proverbial glass. Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll see you next week on JC and Morgan.